Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? My name is Eric, and here to chop my tears in half, I guess, is Michael Kester. <laughs> uh, with his sword of yeah. destiny or whatever the... The tear-slicing double feature. Oh, my God. Favorite scene. <laughs> All-time cinema top scene. Chopping tears in half. So, uh, hi, welcome to Double Feature. Welcome to Year. Give me the number. Is it 14? Doesn't matter. It's the first episode of all time. First episode of all time. None of the other episodes matter. We're resetting the show. That's right. Start here. Welcome to Double Feature. We're we're too big to fail. We're covering Jupiter Ascending and Alita Battle Angel. Too big to fail double feature. I like to think of this as the failure to launch double feature. I just... It's true. You know, I really thought this would be... Got a space pun, you're really <laughs> nailing it. Yeah. Well, you know, there. it's nice that there's a pun for the double feature itself. Mm-hmm. And also that it is our first episode. And so... Mm-hmm. That's true. It's cute. Failure to launch. It couches us from doing a bad job. It saves us. Speaking of failing to launch... um, we were going to launch something at the beginning of this year and failed to do so but don't don't worry we'll uh we may not get to it today but just keep your ears peeled for this big thing that we're going to be doing um this year with double feature you're going to love it it's amazing so we won't get to that i don't think but we will get to a thing that i promised last episode right if you haven't heard the last episode it is a sort of uh, summary, a conclusion paragraph of an entire year run of the show. Right. So if this is your first episode of the show, you can actually listen to that one, the episode right before this, and it'll give you a good idea of where we're trying to get through this series of episodes. Right. Some conclusions we're trying to draw out through 52 or sort of 52 weeks of programming. And it sort of simultaneously requires no homework and 13 years of homework to, to really understand. nothing. <laughs> no, you it just really listen. It required 13 years of homework for us. It requires no effort for you to go back and listen. Yeah, I'm going to let people totally off the hook this year and uh, just assume no one's watched any of the movies. Great. But we are still going to spoil them because we're going to have a fucking conversation about two movies. Of course we're going to spoil them. Right. How do you not spoil them? Right. Who cares? That'd be lame. All right. Have we hit everything? Are we doing the the year of the show okay Uh, so far? Yeah. I mean, you know, patreon.com forward slash double feature. We'll talk more about that later too. I'm really excited. Do you have an order? Which, um, do you want to do the the thing with like the the B-man or the thing with uh, like Android? You have been saying Jupiter Ascending Alita Battle Angel. Yeah. Uh, that's the release order. I don't know. Sure. That doesn't fucking matter. But since you've already said it, great. I think we might as well uh, love it. So happy. Start there. I'd like to give a disclaimer about our theme, though, before we do that. Uh huh. Because you and I went into this with a idea that I think is technically inaccurate. Oh, no. The sort of uh, short and stupid theme here. Yeah. If we're going to hide all the poetry, is just that these movies, uh, they spent a lot of money. They didn't make it back. Boo movies. 
so sad, no sequel. And um, I don't, you know, I never want to talk about the budgets of movies unless it really provides some context to what we're talking about. These are, yeah, they're like $200 million movies, fine. But I'm not the type of person who gets bogged down and like, oh, did it make its money back? What was its domestic? It's overseas. Those numbers are so, so skewed. So this isn't a show that's necessarily about like, look, did Jupiter Ascending make its money back? Did Alita Battle Angel make its money back? Mm -mm, mm -mm. But they are more about the emotion of the moment. These movies are going to come out and they're going to, it's going to be the biggest James Cameron movie of all time. Yeah. And then it's sort of like, I've never talked to a human about Jupiter Ascending until you. Right. And also Alita Battle Angel. That and that's a really good that's a really good jumping off place for me with Jupiter Ascending because here's the thing for me. Jupiter Ascending, just a quick background, right? So the Wachowskis, famous for the Matrix, return to sci-fi with Jupiter Ascending, a space opera starring two of the hottest actors of the time, like physically, not necessarily fame-wise. Sunbeam's pretty famous. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, of course he's hot, but he's also famous. Um, I don't know what you're... But uh, the thing about... And it's both of these movies, right? The thing about Jupiter Ascending that really is the baggage of this movie, and it's the baggage, it's far more the baggage of the other movie, is that we as cinema goers were excited to see Jupiter Ascending, right? But the people more excited about Jupiter Ascending were not sitting in the theater. They were sitting in the offices of the production company going, we're going to get 11 sequels and spinoffs off of this bitch. You have no idea how wide this cinematic universe is about to spread its fucking legs. <laughs> and this is the problem with so many big blockbuster films that even today are coming out. It's this. So, uh, if you're not familiar, Marvel has put out 11,000 movies and they're all connected. And it's really, I know you're burnt out on it. I'm like 100% on its dick, like all day, daddy. But it's this thing where, I mean, it's, it's this massive cinematic universe. It exists in streaming, there's video games tied, everything is canonical. I mean, it's like what you and I have always wanted from like the Jason Slasher universe, mm -hmm. but like unfortunately it's comics instead. But ever since then, every single studio with every single property is like, let's do a universal monster cinematic universe where Tom Cruise's mummy punches, you know, fucking Aaron Eckhart's Frankenstein. You can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> the people from that are. And, and also, way to use the mummy, which is like the one, if ever there was a franchise where people are like, no, retroactively, the Brendan Fraser mummy movies are great and we love them. Yeah. <laughs> I have never heard people beat a louder drum than, hey, did you know Brendan Fraser was in this mummy movie? We should really tell. It's like every two years that comes right. back. It's like, right. hey, I actually like the mummy and that's my fucking take on that. <laughs> So it's like, yeah, well, we know. I read that article a year ago and the year before that. I remember the Brennan Frazier. We, right. We don't have to talk about it every year. It's fine. Settle down. And so you have this Marvel thing where every studio wants a cinematic universe because you can literally print money. 
And then that was that was fucking crammed into the same headspace as the success of the eight Harry Potter movies, which is a young adult franchise based on an infinite number of books, of which there were only seven. But that hasn't stopped that fucking cinematic universe from expanding either. So that brings me to Jupiter fucking ascending. And it's a space opera, right? It's it's somewhere in the between the maturity level of obviously Star Wars, but also like Twilight. I watched this movie, and the thing that this movie I think did wrong at the time, but I actually really like, is it fucking throws so many strings to the audience, right? There's this like odd beeline where like people are splicing with animals. There's this whole family of like, you know, the spice must flow people. And essentially the scope of this movie is just incredibly wide. I mean, if you thought the matrix was crazy where it's like, imagine the world is a simulation. Now that's literally like, that's like Tesla's mission statement. Yeah. You know, the amount of time and space literally that Jupiter ascending takes place to try and cover in a two hour span. I mean, that's, that is Herculean heavy lifting to try and, I mean, this is a movie that feels like it's trying to get a franchise off the ground, but not in a cheap way. Yeah. And I feel like for me, somebody who is just starving for the Wachowskis to put me into space for the next fucking 15 years. This gave me everything I wanted. I literally saw this movie in the theater twice. Well, yeah, I think you hit the right period too with the, uh, or the, the right sort of age range, you know, and that's a weird thing about watching it is if you don't, I've never seen like a more deviant art film, right? You no know deviant art, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a hot werewolf with eyeliner who has wings and drives around on his hover boots, you know, like people were not prepared for the the level of kind of high camp right that later a, a movie like mocking jay you know would come out or i think those were after right actually maybe they maybe they weren't Mm-mm, before also should mention on this first episode we don't know anything about movies literally <laughs> tied to basic stuff you could just look up on imdb we don't have uh but yeah you know you see you see those and you see a lot of these marvel films that came out later. There's literally just scenes from the Black Widow trailer are, that's this movie. I mean, I was actually, as a person who doesn't watch a lot of the Marvel stuff, you know, maybe I don't have the the kind of like level of detail or, or the sort of attention to it to make an accurate comparison. But I definitely feel a lot of those, I see Jupiter Ascending and I go, which Marvel movie is this? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't understand why why people would go bonkers for an entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Why Thor Ragnarok exists and can be left alone to just be in peace and be its thing. And then Jupiter Ascending is this movie that right. people are, are just like, this isn't like Alita where no one saw it. People saw Jupiter Ascending and just universally dragged it. Right. So it is a little bit different in, in the contrast between the two. Well, and it's also sort of crazy to me because like one of the things you and I talk about a lot when we talk about these um, these big cinematic universes, and, and I mean, I think it's what a lot of people think of. It's why I mentioned Harry Potter. But you sort of, 
you have the with all of these you have a wealth of source material and that's one of the reasons that comic book universes are so strong because they've been making weekly comics about every hero 200 heroes have had a weekly comic since 1959 okay mm-hmm. you're never going to run out of material you can always just do an arc and just retcon the time frame it's all you need to do Harry Potter, you know, you have books, Twilight books, uh, Hunger Games books, all this fucking, what's the Maze Runner? That's another stupid fucking thing. And <laughs> and then you get Jupiter Ascend, Alita Battle Angel books, but you get Jupiter Ascending, which is lit, uh, Game of Thrones, ran out of books, became trash. Jupiter Ascending, not based on source material, infinite possibilities. Infinite possibilities. You don't have to go, well, this didn't happen. In the-. You're not going to get fucking neckbeards telling you that that's not what that princess would have done. You can do whatever the fuck you want. And people are like, man, I just, you know, I, I just wish I knew what was going to happen for the next 25 years. This is lame. I think there's something in the production, too, that really rings with that. But before we talk about it. Okay, good. We're going the same place. I've, I've let you. I've let you run pretty far, and it is time, Michael, to do the thing that I said we would. I led up yeah. to in the last episode. Mm-hmm. We have been doing a logline exercise. We had been trying this on the show, mm-hmm. and uh, I want to talk a little bit, maybe about um, you know, really about why uh, we do that and what we're learning from that. Mm-hmm. But because we're starting fresh. What the fuck is a logline? Yeah, so here's a logline of a logline according to studiobinder.com. <clears throat> Are you on studiobinder? You're going to make a movie by the time we're done with the show. Webster's dictionary defines a logline <laughs> as no. <laughs> a logline is a one or two sentence summary of your screenplay that conveys the premise but also adds an emotional aspect that hooks the reader. This is the, this is the part you like. Ooh. I like this part too. It includes, I like this because it has a checklist, so it's something that we can bounce off of every time we get hung up. It includes the main character, setup, which is just vague as fuck, so never mind, and central conflict in a concise, enticing way. So you have the main character, setup, and central conflict, and then you have to make it fucking, you have to make it fucking platinum dunes. I'll uh, yeah, I'll expand a little bit on setup because I do think that's an important part. You know, we talked uh, previously. We've kind of used a shorthand for setup that is, you know, inciting incident. Oh, okay. It, you know, it's sort of like what sets the character down this path. Okay. Now, I will mention as a person who is just gonna be the, I will try to share the responsibility of making sure we hit the log line, but I definitely drag us back to it when we run right past it. So I will, I will say that mm-hmm. as a person going, hey, log line police, you haven't done your, your log line for this movie yet. I hate log lines. And it's part of the reason that I like doing this is because they have a purpose and they're instructive when you're talking about movies, but I like weird fucking movies. Jupiter Sending is a pretty simple logline movie. I don't like simple logline movies. I like weird art fuck movies. I like visual cinema. I like stuff where you don't know what the fuck it is afterwards. But the reason that I find loglines so helpful is I noticed myself doing this the other day. I got out of a weird movie, went to uh, IFC Center, saw the totally fucked up movie. Nobody knew what to make of it. We all got outside. We're just staring at each other. 
And then there was sort of a rush to define what the hell we'd just seen. And the log line checklist you just gave breaks it down into the, the most basic components. And I think once you've done that, what I found last year anyways, you tell me if this was true for you. But what I found from the last year of trying out, you know, coming up with the log line of a movie you just saw as a little bit of an exercise is that it immediately led me down the path of what does this film want to talk about? Where I could kind of go, okay, I know the characters. All right, and how did that movie start? Oh, now I'm remembering back to that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I guess this movie was really about this thing. Oh, that makes me think about this, this, and this it did. Right. So as a person who doesn't feel like every scene needs to push the plot along, doesn't feel like the nudity needs to be connected to character development, I am not that person, but I have still really loved the log lines. Yeah, I mean, with this one, it's easy because it's basically just the title. Yeah, this sort of, yes, ascending, you know, like, yeah. a, I don't know, an astral yeah, like body of some kind, but also the character. Jupiter is ascending. That's the thing. Yes. Um, that's the other thing that pisses me off. You, They named this Jupiter Ascended. The sequel opportunities to just the naming convention oh. is beautiful. It's so, so sad. Just different things Jupiter's doing. Jupiter shopping. You know, Jupiter gets a foot massage. It's perfect. Um, wow. Okay, so... You wonder why they turned down all Michael's <laughs> pitches for the sequels. What about Jupiter shopping? <laughs> well, because at the end of the movie, she returns... Jupiter a, solves the boba crisis. There's sort of a return to how the movie started, and right. uh, shopping would not be out of, out of line of how to start the next movie. Jupiter returns. The dark Jupiter returns. These are terrible ideas for sequels, <laughs> by the way. You're never going to... Yeah, well, and the, the thing I had mentioned uh, before... So I want to come back to this logline checklist, but before I forget, the thing that I was talking about that I, I thought production-wise fit into this is, you know, the Wachowskis have been really big on... Uh, I don't know a more artful way to put this, but they are chief among complainers that all we make is franchises. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of that probably comes from do another matrix, do another matrix, do another matrix. And they're sitting there with so many ideas and there is not a hunger from bigger studios or really from anywhere with money to make independent property. Mm -hmm. Even when independent things get made, they get made because there's this established thing or this established thing or that you've got this actor who's appeared in stuff before People with money want to know that this already worked. And when they have a lot of money, they want to see that other films have already come out with this name on them. Mm -hmm. You see that now with studios. They don't even want to give the movies new names. They just straight up want to call it Halloween again. Mm -hmm. Because God forbid we change anything about it, people might, you know. So all that aside, let's go through our checklist real quick. Let's do one of these as proper as we can. All right. So main character, I guess that's Jupiter, right? It's, Feels like it's the the wolf, but it's probably Jupiter. No, it's not the wolf. It's Jupiter. She cleans toilets. She is in a, a low station in life, as we'll see again with Alita. Mm -hmm. Very basic stuff. She's a Russian Chicagoan. Mundane existence. She wakes up. She hates her life. Yeah. Then what? Set up so she hates her life and she needs a change. And fortunately, um, her mother is from space 
and she has um you know she 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 has some land in Ireland but like space Ireland think about the scene that her mother's from space her her reincarnated <laughs> spirit is yeah so think about the scene where everything changes for her in this mm-hmm. movie that's when her her friend is bafflingly thrusting her uh, lingerie body at her. I was going to say her naked body, but I don't want to mm-hmm. deceive people who haven't seen the movie. Scantily clad. Yeah. yeah. Asking her about outfits and then flinging the clothes out of the frame. I like that scene. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I make a little jab at it because it reads as very strange as a lot of this movie does, but that's. You know, now now the movie's over, and I go. You know what scene was exciting was some of these. You know, some of the strangest ones. And before this scene finishes, aliens invade and sort of uh, spin her through the air. Mm-hmm. So I also think the the moment that the movie really wants to tell you everything's changing is when she's you know selling her eggs to get PlayStation money, or that's the other guy. Mm-hmm. Five billion pixels. <laughs> She goes in to this doctor's office because she's trying to get money for this telescope. And the doctor's office is actually a bunch of space aliens. Mm-hmm. So that's what sets her on her course. Right. Was there a third thing on this checklist? Yeah, the other main thing is the central conflict, which is that it turns out that um, she is claim to a space legacy that is coveted by a tribunal of brothers and sisters who turn planetary inhabitants to valuable fountain of youth spice and they're trying to figure out between the three of but the three siblings are all trying to connive to get her uh her legacy from her one way or the other in space all right so i wanted to spend a lot of time setting up the log line because we have very interestingly so many similar themes between these two movies. Mm-hmm. And I thought rather than just talking about the themes twice, it would really roll us right into Alita Battle Angel. But honestly, just listen to how many things in Alita Battle Angel we could be talking about, you know, either movie. Mm-hmm. I won't, however, let us pass through Jupiter Ascending without mentioning that it has this lengthy Chicago destruction scene mm-hmm. in the beginning of the movie. And I just had to check in with you as uh, my friend who also grew up in Chicago um, before we split off and went to other parts of the country. Was this as fucking cool for you to see as Oh, me? yeah. Oh, my God. It feels so good. I just think this is the coolest thing in the world. It just feels so good. It's what you want. It's what I want yeah. all the time. Chicago is a, it's a very hard city to photograph um, or to make look uh, the way you want, I should say. Mm-hmm. Because it's got a... the. Chicago at night is a burnt orange color that, you know, for reasons we don't need to go into, is just really hard to color in any other way or make look and anything other than just blinding burnt orange. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool to see a very modern, you know, five years ago or something, mm-hmm. cinematic look at, hey, what would the Avengers look like if it was set in Chicago? And, you know, every building they whiz by and destroy, you know, and... This is very personal to me, so who Mm -hmm. cares? Let's just move on and talk about Alita Battle Angel. But I was going to stick a flag in it that it is, uh, it's an awesome Chicago moment. 
Yeah, so moving into Alita Battle Angel, um, this is Robert Rodriguez directing a James Cameron thing. That's how I'm going to have to put it because I don't really a thing. quite right. grasp the James Cameronness of it all other than his ability to just grow cash on trees. But yeah, so you know, this was a big thing for you and I because much like the Wachowskis, right? Robert Rodriguez historically maybe more than than anything else was was a big factor in what got us interested in film, what got us interested in the same films, big inspiration for the podcast itself, blah blah blah, learning about directing, learning about filmmaking. Robert Rodriguez was sort of the 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 guy that did that. And to see him do a movie that wasn't a sequel to one of his movies and wasn't a children's movie. It was sort of exciting, but I was wrong. Turns out it's a kid's movie. <laughs> um, and uh, so let's just jump into the log line. I just wanted to make sure to, to name check RR. Let's do it. Okay. So you have your main character again. Uh, this is a movie where the title just sort of sums it up for you. You have this main character who's, whose name is Alita. The setup is that she is a battle angel. yeah i mean these movies are so good for this because you can't even get through the title of the movie without it really and then you know why do we see it that way we see it because these are big expensive movies Mm -hmm. it is not one thing that you will note about these is they have to star big actors or be a big spectacle in some way Mm -hmm. and so you know you're selling things either with faces or concept or with huge movies a lot of times both. Character blooms on the poster. That's the other big way to sell it. Right. So, you know, we've got a couple people who check off. I've been in an A-list movie before. Oh, yeah. We have Christoph Waltz, mm-hmm. who's an interesting choice for this. I sold him both of the hats he wears in this movie. That's a fact. Oh, no fucking kidding. That's a fact, yeah. Because he they were shooting wow. this out at Troublemaker. So I actually, I met him four or five times during the course of this movie. That is awesome. Yeah, that's a the fact hat. about this. The hat. Both hats. Yeah, both hats. Makes yeah. the character, Michael. The hat <laughs> is where it all comes together for him. Um, Jennifer Connelly's in this. Yeah. Edward Norton in tanning bed goggles for some reason. I mean, there are people in yeah. this. Mahershala Holly. Yeah. Yes. But okay, so, uh, oh my God, I want so hard to go somewhere with what you're saying, but we're trying you to can't, do you this can't. log line. It's on the rails. <laughs> mm. Well, what I was going to say is that it is very concept forward, very high concept, very uh, the highest of high concept, a movie that is a person's name mm-hmm. and it's about that person. Well, what are they into? Colon, what they're into. Right. So the this is a, uh, a person who also has a little bit of a amnesia, doesn't know her past, self-discovery element. Well, that's how you learn about the world that it's in, right? Is it is, this is in yes. a it's in a post world universe. Earth is hanging on by a thread. There's like one Elysium left in the sky, and then everybody else is uh-huh. is stuck in fucking you know District Nine. And there's you know Rollerball, and the victor of Rollerball gets to go to the sky land. Everybody lives in, uh, in, what's the district called in Final Fantasy? I was going to, I don't even remember now. Uh, Midgar. Yeah. 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 They're <laughs> okay, all in, a, in the district of Midgar. Of yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, everybody kind of lives in the slums and you can ascend right. up to through this, this really uh, iconic like tube that I never forget from right. this movie. Super odd. Really strange. It's and it's cable. kind of a, yeah, it's a set piece later 
in a really fucked up scene. Yeah. And so we have a we have this this is why I, I like the log line uh, bit as well because right away we know okay, we deal with this amnesia thing, what is that telling us? Probably we'll just take a cheat cuz we've been watching movies and thinking about this a lot. That means self-discovery. Mm-hmm. That means this is a movie about a person figuring out themselves. That works so well in this movie because it's not just you know, it's finding yourself, it's remembering your name. A little bit of it is heritage, which is interesting for a Robert Rodriguez movie. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. But it's also part of the uh, the kind of even wider body of transhumanist literature, fiction, storytelling, and so on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to look at people who are having these very out-of-body um Transhumanism is, you know, it's dysmorphia, it's puberty, it's uh, transsexuality itself, all in one. And I think we see everything in the movie kind of becoming a metaphor for all of these things. You know, each action the character takes, new bodies that she wears, trying to uh, look the same way on the outside as she feels on the inside, all connects back to these themes, which of course connect back to our Logline, which is the uh, what's the central conflict is that um, she's got some uh, some legacy that needs to be stopped by a tribunal of people in space and by some different you know the thing I said about Jupiter ascending, but instead bigger <laughs> eyes, slightly, well, slightly and, bigger yeah. eyes. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think there's also like, what are we really talking about here? We're talking about correcting the world. Mm-hmm. You know, in the last movie, we were talking about Queen of Earth. It's really like, yeah, there are many problems in the world. We want to set things straight. We want it to be better for everybody. And it plays into what we also see in a lot of these movies, which is that class struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, and we really saw it talking about the pyramid in the last movie, the sort of, there's always, there's always people on the very top who are the most important and then the sort of, you know, just um, common street people on the bottom whose lives don't matter. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is something the villains of the, the movie expose in many different ways. But we see it very directly in Alita as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only way to ascend that, interestingly, is through luck or physical prowess, you know, physical sport. And I think those are so directly just things that relate to modern society. Mm-hmm. I do think there's a couple things that go under the radar a little bit with this movie. Yeah. Well, they're you know they're they're not terribly under the radar. I mean, one is the engineering portion of it, mm-hmm. which um, you know they do. There is a line that that calls that out pretty early as she's discovering the world mm-hmm. for the first time. What holds it up? Magic. You know, something stranger. Engineering. And people talked about this film a lot more before it came out than after it came out. But a lot of the conversations were, oh my God, James Cameron, movie magic, Mm -hmm. Robert Rodriguez, movie magic. They're going to use all this technology to do things we've never seen before. And so there is a, a part of this that is filmmakers who are engineers who are tinkerers. This mm-hmm. is a thing, of course, close to my heart. It's my prior backgrounds in engineering. But people who like the, the sort of uh, 
craftsmanship of physical engineering and bringing that over into film as an artistic medium and how it allows for that experimentation, how it allows for world building. Mm -hmm. Most people, differently than myself, I think most of the people I meet who have an engineering background and now work in film do a lot of world building. Mm -hmm. They are very interested in creating giant worlds, probably because today's modern tools allow for that. That's where I, I see the most direct production connection to engineering. Right. It's like, oh, you know engineering, you know um, probably some form of computer engineering, and now you can use a computer and you can make gigantic fucking worlds. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty direct, I think, pretty, pretty direct path for people. The biggest thing as far as world building goes, that separates these two movies. Uh, let me try to do an extremely extended metaphor here. But we talk a lot on Double Feature about hanging a lantern on something. It's just a phrase where, you know, you're going to call attention to something. It's some version of foreshadowing. Point the camera at it for a second. Linger one moment too long. We know that shit's coming back. That's all you got to do. You hang a lantern on it so we can all see it very clearly. We know that it's important to the movie. The previous film, Jupiter Ascending, uses this same technique. But if you imagine a hallway with lanterns, by the end of Jupiter Ascending, you can't see because it's too fucking bright because of how many lanterns <laughs> are in this one hallway. Now, Alita Battle Angel, same hallway, but a different strategy, which is it, Alita Battle Angel takes you down this clear path. And every once in a while, it will open one of the doorways on either side of the hallway, hang a lantern inside the door, and then close the door again. And that, I think, from a world-building perspective, is how these films differ. I think that there is so much overwhelming information to the story that is it's superfluous, but it's not completely random in the previous film. Whereas Alita Battle Angel goes, check out Edward Norton. He's probably like the big bad guy. You're not going to see him though. Yeah. Check out this guy. He's the best rollerball player we've ever seen. You wouldn't believe how good he is at rollerball. He's literally the greatest. To see him would be just the most mind-blowing thing. We'll save it for the sequel. And what I think is compelling about the movie is that hallway that's the I, fucking just don't open the fucking doors, man. You got these fucking <laughs> super robots that are improving themselves coming to kill you. You have rollerball fucking entire urban paths of murder robots on rollerblade. Dude, you have such a rich movie. It's so fun to watch. And then every once in a while, it just, it, it just feels like, you know, logline wise, you have a whole movie here. You have a whole movie here. It's funny, you know, I, I use that phrase a little bit different, but I think we are pointing out the same thing. Like when, when I think about hang a lantern on it, I always think about the excuse of it. Sure. The sort of like, hey, we have this love story and it's weird. Shouldn't one of the characters acknowledge openly that it's weird? Sure, to kind of like true. break the tension, yeah. right? It's like it's it's hanging the lantern over a defect, so mm -hmm. as to go, we're not ashamed of this defect. We're illuminating it, right? Right. No, that's fair. I think about that with the themes of the movie, right? It's like they openly talk about the engineering thing. Yep. I think immigration is another thing where it's sort of mm -hmm. it's almost hit with such a hammer. That it seems like, well, we could understate this, but this is not the kind of movie where we do that. 
And I think about it with the uh, the sequel doors. Sure. You know, we could flirt with it a little bit, but this is a loud movie. It's a loud action-packed mm-hmm. movie and therefore we're we can't just open a door. We need to end on the right Edward Norton goggles. We need to, you know, like all of that has to be hit home very loudly. There's just so many small pieces of the movie that that aren't bad. It's, you know, it's not like I don't like seeing Jeff Fahey as a half robot cowboy with a bunch of dogs. I would never in a million years say don't put that in your movie. But if he has no lines, maybe consider not putting it in your movie. <laughs> you know, it's 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 one of those things where like with Jupiter ascending, right? I see all the potential, but when the movie ends, I don't go. I kind of feel like there was more to that story. Yeah. And yeah. Alita Battle Angel, I see again all the potential, but when it ends, I go, that was, you know, going back to our log line. I go, does that even resolve? Were we talking, were we watching the same conflict? Yeah. Because the conflict that you're resolving isn't the conflict I thought needed resolving. You've, you've like solved a portion of it, but. Well, I think, I think there's a lot you also get by world building. You know, you, you tap into a lot of things that it starts to feel overwhelming just in the number of avenues you can go. Yeah. Because you kind of bring through, like the transhumanism stuff, I don't know how much of it is specifically tied to this plot. Right. So much as it's just when you do a movie about a person swapping bodies over and over or, or sort of, mm-hmm. you know, you're dealing with motifs a bit there. Some of it becomes intentional and some of it just becomes, you know, when you when you fuck around with cyberpunk stuff, mm-hmm. this is just what you end up talking about. I think there's a kind of a cool thing that happens when you start to blur those things because of that, because you get so lost in mm-hmm. this overwhelming number of... Um, so like, all right, so let's stick on the body swapping thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like she wakes up and she's in somebody else's body mm-hmm. or she switches and she wears a new body that she identifies with more. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I look at that and I think about trans themes, transsexuality, transgender, you know, in its vaguest terms, trans themes, but that's also puberty. Mm-hmm. And which one is Alita talking about? Well, we don't know. But you know, the puberty part could probably account for how often we see transhumanist themes in anime mm-hmm. because it's also, you know, that is the the demographic that anime plays the biggest with is people who are sort of in the years before and immediately after puberty. And, you know, even for everybody listening to this scoffing, think about when you got into anime. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't those years, I would be surprised. And I think there's something really cool that happens with the blurring of trans themes and of puberty uh, socially, because what it means, you know, Cameron flirted with this a bit in Avatar too, right? Because they're stepping into other bodies, but it wasn't really about that in the way that Alita feels it is. Maybe it's the age of the protagonist, you know, because she's also young. I don't know. But what it does is it basically takes a universal theme of puberty. And then kind of goes like, hey, this is what trans people are going through as well. And it blurs them so much because of just the overwhelming number of things that the movie does, what the movie's about. And I think that there 
is something a little cool that happens by it not handling a lot of that stuff head on. Mm-hmm. If it talked more specifically about them, of course this is true of the Wachowski movies too, but if it talked more specifically about them, it would call it out so much that I think some people would tune it out. But it's just playing in this, this is what, you know, cyberpunk fiction is so good at. It's playing so vaguely in that arena. It's basically like, I guess what I'm getting at is it's teaching the anime kids to align with people who would maybe later even identify as transgender. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of puts you on the same page to relate to those kind of themes, even when the movie doesn't look like, you know, nothing in Alita's advertising is going, we're making a, a transhumanist or even transgender movie. That's one of the things that I feel like is is actually a major difference between these two films. Is I feel like Jupiter Ascending, it's an adult drama in like a high schooler's body, right? It you mm. you see Jupiter ascending, uh, you see the the imagery of it, the poster, whatever. Uh, even you called out the fact that it's like you know a hot topic manager's wet dream, and <laughs> it's doing all that, but the movie isn't. It's not playing at that level, and I feel like Alita Battle Angel is essentially the opposite, right? It has all this stuff going on, but like you need to keep in mind that like this movie is playing, it's not playing to younger audiences, but it will play for younger audiences. You know, this is, that's one of the things that I've had to learn to accept about Robert Rodriguez is that unless he gets a hard R rating, he wants his kids to see the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not bad. You know, that you and I have said multiple times that Robert Rodriguez children's movies are still some of his strongest work. So that's definitely no slight to say that this movie uh, may be for a younger audience or at least play better. Like you're saying, you know, the themes may actually resonate better with a younger audience than people who are like, I really like Edward Norton Fight Club. Although, man, I just watched Planet Terror again the other day and it, it newly inspired me again. Like, sure, I gotta get well, my I mean, hands on some physical film, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's the one where he has his kid shoot himself. Like, that's the best of both worlds. Okay, first one of the year. Big thanks to Charles Crawford, Ben Ecker, Joachim Vernon, and Brad Parker. They are the executive producers of the show, and you, of course, can become an executive producer. It's patreon.com forward slash double feature. We want you to be an executive producer because we're doing something weird. Yeah. So we're about to start another journey, and it's uh, maybe one of the most, I fuck it, man, it's the most ambitious one we've ever done by far. So we want to make sure we get through to the end of it. We'll tell you about what it is in a second, but patreon.com forward slash double feature, make sure we can do it. All right, so we've got uh, we've got this year's journey. If you're not familiar with what the journey is, um, just tune in next week. I'm not going through it right now. We're going to attempt, this is the attempt, right? a definitive retrospective of exploitation films as far as what it did, what it does, and whether it's still okay for a lot of reasons. And then we're going to pair that with the other thing we always like to talk about, which is uh, French extreme cinema. We're going to talk about, again, origins, what it does, and how these two sorts of transgressive areas of cinema relate and whether... 
doing it by mistake or on pro- all this stuff. There's a lot to talk about. So where much. the fuck it came from, I think. Yeah. Would be a, so a much good thing to try to find. So much, in fact, that we're actually throwing an extra journey episode onto this year, which means we're jumping into it next week. We're kicking it off next week. We're gonna do the drug propaganda movie or drug safety propaganda movie, Marijuana. And then we're going to pair that with, you have to tell me, because I you did half this, I did half this. Oh, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the French Extreme movie is called Criminal Lovers. Okay. It's pretty early in the French Extreme. And um, what I found watching some of these movies, an entire genre that you turned me on to, and we talked about a lot of them on the show, but it's uh, it's very different than what I thought it was. And for the the first, at least the first half of it, not very horror-y, but uh, they're fucked up in a different way. Hope, the reason I wanted to start with this one in particular is because I thought it would be a really cool one if people could make the effort to hunt it down because it's difficult. But all the movies we're going to talk about, and on the exploitation side too, some of them are very easy because they've kind of like fallen into whatever. We'll talk about it at the time. Mm-hmm. But some of them are very difficult to find. That's really going to be the case on the French extreme side. And I felt like on for both of these genres, we've had a huge gap in our knowledge and in what we've covered on the show because it's just so hard to either hunt these movies down or for various reasons to get through them to actually watch them, experience them. Mm -hmm. And so if you have also had trouble either sitting through some of these movies or uh, even just finding them, I want our shows to, it's not ever going to replace the experience of actually watching the movies, but there's a lot to be learned from sitting down and, and looking at what's going on in these various exploitation genres and where all these French extreme movies came from, how that genre was kind of formulated, what the inflection point was there. Anyways, this is a long way of me saying, if you can't find the movies or you don't watch the movies for this journey, uh, I want to do extra effort to make sure these shows are not only uh, still make sense, but are just as valuable. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to cover a lot of this stuff because these movies are so hard to find and hard to watch and try to get some of these answers for people whether they saw the movies or not. So if you can hunt them down, great, watch them with us. If you can't, we're going to make sure that you can come along for the entire thing and we hope you do. Yep, that's going to be the plan. So next week it's Marijuana with an H. Uh, that one's in the public domain. Easy. So, marijuana and criminal lovers on this year's kickoff inaugural journey show of exploitation and French extreme. Watch more fucking film. All right. Bye.